at Sif Pop. We're your movie friends. But are friends really friends? If you don't know them, so grab a popcorn and head over to our row so we can share movies like friends do. There's always room for more movie friends. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the writer's room. Hello and welcome to Sif Pop Writer's Room. I'm your host, Aaron, but not that Aaron, of course. And today I'm joined by Sif Pop editor, Robert. If I spill, my life ain't worth a nickel. I like your other one better. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, for the first time ever, writer, man. Jack. Hello, everyone. Uh, we write for SifPop.com. We do movie reviews, best ever challenges, and other interesting movie-related articles. So make sure to go check out website, the website SifPop.com to keep up with all of that. Uh, Jack just put his first uh, full-length article out and uh, talked about the video game The Quarry. Mm-hmm. So... Yep. Um, that, that will have come out yesterday when this launches or if you're a Patreon today. Um, so yeah. Um, so Jack, uh, Jack put on that. So go check out that work. Um, mm-hmm. he also does the BEC pretty much every week. Didn't you so. do another person's treasure? Yeah, I did the, the, another person's treasure, uh, I think a month ago now, maybe. Uh, Cause it was, push. you did the push one, right? Yeah. So second full length article, first yeah. full review then. First yes, full first review. full review. Yeah. Nice. And um, yeah, and Robert uh, recently did the Bo Burnham, the Inside Out takes, which I guess it was a month ago. Uh, just about, yeah. Because I think it was, it was like just coming out May. last time we were. Huh. But, I don't but, remember to be honest. We as the editors don't tip a length article. Um, I also did the Cha-Cha Real Smooth. Oh, that's right. I was like, I thought there was one other one that you did. Yeah. yeah I, I... Last couple of months I've been able to claim claim some. I need to see that movie. I have the morning off. Is it on something? Apple TV. It's on Plus. Apple. Cool. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe I'll do that tomorrow. Um, yeah, and I do the under banner of under the banner of heaven review, and this week we'll have the the review for the offer. That's something the website for. But uh, but yeah, make sure to go to sifpop.com, check out all that. But on the podcast today, we're going to talk about a coming attraction, two movies that are uh, coming out this week. Uh, so we got Elvis and the Black Phone, two wildly different movies. Uh, coming out this we'll kind of give some thoughts on and um, when we're done talking about those we'll move on to talk about our goat segment we're talking about on the waterfront this month so um, by the way we'll get this out of there now full spoilers for that movie so if you haven't seen it might be worth checking out uh, but I don't think it's going to ruin your experience if you listen to this um, Mm. before before that this isn't one of those kind of movies did you Um, get the spoiler complaint no Okay. I just, I'm just I wondering because like, you've never done a spoiler review before or a spoiler. Uh, I use I usually say it at the top of our segment. Or I usually try to say it at the top of our segment, but I usually don't say it. So mm. I just if I think about it, I'm going to say it. Gotcha. Um, but also just like for clarity, like we're not dancing around anything um, for a almost 70 year old movie. <laughs> <laughs> and then once we're done talking about uh, that, we will move on to the B plot and unrelated to, to that movie, uh, just something that I kind of came up with was what are some of the best movies that you could listen to with no picture? Um, so we're not talking background watches necessarily. I mean, if that's the way you wanted to go, that's fine. Cause I'm mm-hmm. on this now, but my intention with this question was a movie that a non-seeing person could enjoy just as, just as mm-hmm. a seeing. I didn't even consider the, the background watch thing invention. until then. That, that makes sense, but I, yeah, I mean, background like watch the... is just a totally different kind mm-hmm. of thing, but you know, I am choosing to say it now that we're live instead of, you know, when I gave mm-hmm. you the note. So <laughs> <laughs> And then we'll wrap up with the spinoff. But first, let's get a chance Great. to know our writers this week. Uh, Jackson, since it's your first time, I got uh, the questions for you. And Robert, mm-hmm. you can answer them since it's been a while. But we'll start with you, Jack. Uh, Jack, when did you realize that movies are kind of your thing? Um, I think I, I really started um, getting into movies probably my uh, middle of high school, I would say. Just 
I spent a lot of the first years of high school just playing video games, playing video games, all that kind of stuff. Like I hit freshman year right when Black Ops 2 came out and that basically was my entire experience. And at that point, I just wanted to uh, branch out a little bit and I'd always been into movies, but at that point I was able to be like more critical of them. And then I took like a, a small little film class where um, it became more interesting and I realized how much the the medium kind of like meant to me. And then in in, uh, in college here, my I just graduated. So my final year, I did uh, this whole thesis project on um, film, using it to teach empathy in classrooms. And that really just cemented, or not empathy, uh, diversity. Um, that really just like cemented what this kind of like medium can can do for people. And it's kind of, I just really got into it then. And that's when I started reaching out to you and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. I think you sent that that project yeah i did and and it was it was before i knew what it would take to to be a member of the website i was just like you know what this is the this i mean i was like hey you might as well this is the one film thing i've done so i just sent it your guys no that's fine i'm just thinking like i really want to read that i just forgot about it and now i'm like no i really Mm -hmm. want to go back and yeah essentially i just turned 12 uh movies into lesson plans about six different types of diversity so if i wanted to teach um like i think i used blind spotting i used get out but i didn't do get out from a from a race perspective i did it from an age perspective because i think that movie has a lot to say about age that uh we kind of like missed that subtext and when i rewatched it it was like i think obviously that movie has a, a tremendous amount to say about race and things that we don't necessarily talk about but then when you look at it from different perspectives i, I was super interested by what peel was doing uh with with that as well so um hmm. yeah I, I i got a taste for writing about movies and then i, I wanted to get as much as I possibly could. So cool. Yeah. I, um, I need to go back and check that out. Yeah, for sure. Sounds fascinating. Uh, so what's your favorite movie of all time and what specifically makes that movie beyond excellent? Essentially, I'm one of those people that just struggles so much with this question. And so when I, when I like answer it, um, the, the first thing that's come to mind recently, just because it's within like my friend circle and stuff like that, I might, my name has become synonymous with this franchise because I push it so much on everybody I know. Um, and then my favorite of the franchise. Transformers. No, unfortunately, I'm no. I'm really um, hoping it's the Planet <laughs> of the Apes trilogy. It's not. It my my <sighs> my favorite um, film that I uh, that I go to right now is Mission Impossible Fallout, oh, um, nice. where okay. I just think that those movies are are doing something really really different. And once they once they brought it back with uh, Ghost Protocol, um, I like Ghost Protocol a lot. I like Rogue Nation a lot. But just a lot of the stakes and stuff that exist in the final movie. And then also, I think they're at they're just always improving with those action sequences. Um, and, and you know, like when, when I looked at our question for today, uh, the first thing that I, I did was think about my favorite movies. And I was like, this has to be the opposite, the opposite end of the spectrum to that, where um, this is a movie that I, I want to see everything on screen there because it's just so mm-hmm. fascinating and engaging the entire time. The final action sequence there is some of my favorite film I've ever seen with all this stuff going on on the helicopters. I just think it's so smart and the stakes are incredible. So... Yeah, I think that's where I'm at right now. One of my favorites for sure. Very cool. Uh, uh, but Robert, let's bounce to you. Uh, when did when did you realize movies are your thing? And then why is the Lord of the Rings your favorite movie of all time? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was gonna say uh, Jack didn't know what his favorite movie was, and it's a little difficult for him to answer that question. I was like, this is very easy for me to yeah. answer this question. <laughs> I could see, and uh, you're in in the background there, you know. I, First time I've, yep. I've spoken to you in, in person or whatever. You but, can see Robert, in the in the everything about Robert. Immediately shows, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah, I realized movies were my thing, uh, I don't know, middle of college. I, I always watched movies. I always enjoyed them, but I probably got that deeper understanding uh, sometime in college for whatever reason. I don't really know what it was, but 
there was just something that clicked. And then, um, yeah, I just started watching more and more and getting more and more into it. And here I am, a uh, monthly co-host on a mm-hmm. Pop Writers Room podcast. And the um, editor of a website. And the editor of a website mm-hmm. and the runner of a YouTube channel and blog and everything else. Um, <laughs> and the writer of very bad letterbox reviews. And uh, <laughs> as for why Lord of the Rings is my favorite, I don't know. I It was like the first, you know, non-Disney, non-animated movie I ever saw, probably. You know, like not mm. non-inherently family-oriented um, and I was just swept away. Just, mm. you know, everyone talks about going to see it in theaters for the first time, you know, as, as adults or whatever. But I, I got that experience that so many Tolkien fans got, mm-hmm. uh, from the books as kids. I got it from the movies. Um, and I saw them once, uh, never looked back or some for the first time and <laughs> never looked back. And I've seen them a million times since. Yeah. The, they, it, say, you know, a lot about them for somebody that's only seen them once. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, uh, I, I'm not like I love them like they're great or whatever. But the thing that always just sticks with me is like the impossible scale of the movies. And like mm-hmm. compared to like we're almost privileged like with Endgame and Infinity War, like we talk about those as some of like the the biggest movies we've ever seen. These movies came out 20 years ago, and like I, I just can't even believe how that kind of stuff came together. You know, um, yeah, it's 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 so incredibly impressive for sure. Um... And Fellowship is the best one potentially. Wow. That's, At Aaron, I would consider that a, a hot. <laughs> I just know I know you don't like that one. That's why it's um. It's not that I don't like it. It's it's just a significantly like down step for the rest of them. It's to me that like is like a seven out of ten in the rest. You know. You know what? We should have a like a why you're wrong about these fantasy movies <laughs> episode with me, you, and Nick, and I'm just explaining to you why Fellowship and Prisoner of Azkaban are great. Um, and yes. Prisoner of Azkaban is great. I know you're listening, Nick Farrow. (laughs) That's me too. You zero. (laughs) Oh, it's like the world against me. Uh, (laughs) No, it's that's true. (laughs) We could certainly have one of those episodes. I mean, I'm I'm stubborn, so like that's fine. (laughs) And especially with the Harry Potter like franchise, I've already like made my bed. Now I'm gonna lie in it. So like. You know, for all these fantasy episodes, I think I think one of these days have you, done, you haven't done a Lord of the Rings episode, have you? No, it hasn't been relevant. Um, I mean, the old like it could be relevant, like with the Rings the of Power coming out. out. Um, like I, I, like that could be a thing, but I think um, when is the show coming out? September August, 2nd. September. Um, oh, I didn't even think about that because I think August is the fifth. Um, and I guess I, I pulled could. it up right now. August thirty first, you have Mad Max. September seventh, you have Nostalgia. Yeah, well, so. That, I would have slotted that into a um, like a, a fifth Wednesday, a fifth Wednesday, and um, oh, I see what you mean. Because that's a lot of content and doesn't really fit the rest of the categories. Uh, I could mm-hmm. for nostalgia for somebody, um, but so I guess I could have thrown it in there on the thirty first. But that's the the same day that the George Miller one comes out. You know, yeah, and I probably could have done that one day. One day, I'm sure we'll get to talk about Lord of the Podcast. I'll be able to talk about people and talking for. And if eternity. you don't invite me on, then I quit. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's gonna want me on that episode, yeah. <laughs> so that will have to be a very like. <laughs> I'm I'm just gonna have to prepare for everybody to hate me six months <laughs> after that. But um, anyway, um. Well, let's get back to you, Jack, then. Um, so kind of what's the story of you getting involved in being a part of the Sif Pop crew? Uh, yeah, the um, I, I kind of mentioned it. I, I heard you guys uh, the, on the podcast with it was the end of the year one for the Sif Pop podcast. At that moment, I was at a very interesting point where 
um, I had been working a job on uh, at, at college for three years and I'd put a lot of time into it. And it was one of those things where it was becoming a lot of my life. And then I was not having a good time with parts of it. And I just wanted to begin separating that. So I was getting back into hobbies that I'd had earlier in life. And just because I'd gotten so busy with school, I, I, I kind of like film had had left left the space a little bit and, and I'd had opportunities to write for it specifically like with the thesis I mentioned but I was like I wanted something to do that was completely removed from school completely removed from my job all that kind of stuff just fun and uh, it, it just happened to happen right when I heard the podcast so I reached out to you guys um, and came together pretty quick uh, thought I was gonna have to wait a minute just to get to the quarry to write my first review because I, I came on at the just after you guys had scheduled for a month um, and then Aaron reached out about the the push article and had a great time with that so was very excited to, to continue with it. yeah reached out and essentially said you have 24 hours yeah. to write me a full-length <laughs> article because yeah, exactly. i was supposed to do it and didn't <laughs> uh-huh. and yeah it's funny i had just been thinking about how like that movie just like popped up in my head and i'm like man am i the only person on earth who likes this movie and uh, after i wrote the article many people uh, reached out and they were like dude i've been waiting for somebody to say it because i thought i was the only one I, I rewatched it and it doesn't hold up as much as I thought, but still I had a really good time with it. I still I still enjoy it, but I'm like, man, this is super two thousands. Super two thousands. Yeah, that's fine. Well, that story reminds me of uh the trivia from the Last Temptation of Christ of Serendipity or Divine Intervention, take your pick about mm-hmm. right at the perfect time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for real. Yeah, yep. For sure. Worked out. So there's a callback. Uh, Robert, you want to walk through how uh, you got to become writer and then editor of the podcast here, or the not the podcast, the uh, <laughs> the website? I do not edit this podcast. Nobody um, does. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I started. Um, I think I was just writing. Yeah, I was writing reviews for my own blog at the time. Uh, just happened to follow Blake Hodges on Twitter, um, <laughs> making myself laugh. I almost said R.I.P., but Blake's not dead <laughs> that I know of. Um, no, we're friends on Facebook. Yeah. Okay. He messaged he me the other day. Anyway. He just gets off of Twitter, a toxic cesspool. Yes. Um, yeah, anyway, I, I thankfully he was on Twitter uh, back when I was looking for something more to do. And we got to talking one day and he said, hey, I'm starting up the site. Or I'm you know, picking the site back up because Sifpop.com was basically just Aaron Dicer posting his videos for a while. Um, yeah. And the occasional written article. Um, but yeah, Blake and Aaron were working to get it going to have contributors and Blake was looking for basically anyone and anyone, anyone and everyone who was willing and able to do it. So yeah, I jumped on board uh, I, and I've stuck with it for, I couldn't tell you when that was or when I started as the editor, but eventually Ben took over, then Ben had to step down and I, uh, I stepped in Ben's place or I worked with Ben for, I don't know, short amount of time. Then he had to step down and then Aaron, but not that Aaron, stepped in with me, and the rest is history. How long has that been now? I don't know, year and a half, two years? I think I started like right when COVID stuff started happening, so March. Oh. So yeah, over two years now. And you started partnered like on this project? November, December, because you had you were relatively fresh. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah, and then you wanted to start the podcast and asked me to be on monthly, and I said, of course. Mm-hmm. Actually, no, I think it was March, because I was like, it, it had been after I started the podcast that I started. Oh, really? Oh, really? Yeah, this podcast was started a startup. You know what? That's true because I remember having the conversation with Dicer about how you'd be kind of a natural person to step in because you're already quote unquote higher up among the ranks, having or being the host of this podcast. So yeah. Well, and I remember being super hesitant because this already takes up my time. Um, yeah. yeah. So anyway, um, 
I have one random question for you guys before we move on. And uh, I want to know, Robert, this, we've done this before, but with movies. Um, okay. But I kind of want to take away the the movies necessarily. It can be from a movie, but I want to know what is your favorite quote? Uh, and I'll give you some time to think. I will say first, um, it's just one that I love a lot. Um, I have, I, I think, and you guys could probably say the same, but like 40 different answers to this mm-hmm. question. But the one yeah, that yeah, I think yeah. about a lot is um, from the show Firefly. Because I had it printed out and um, like because I was in a graphics design class and we had access to equipment. And so I just made my own poster of it. Um, but there's a moment where Shepard, who is this like religious person, um, starts attacking people. And they're like, um, hey, preacher, aren't you? Suppo- uh, doesn't the Bible have uh, some pretty specific things to say about killing? And he's like, yes. However, it is somewhat hazy around the subject of kneecaps. I, just, I really <laughs> like so that. <laughs> <laughs> Forgot about that. Yeah, I mean, it's Robert, just I have mine so if, uh, if you want to go or um, mine immediately came to my head, my number ones. Go for so it. Too. Yeah, uh, mine mine is from, I think I have it at my, it's my third favorite show of all time, um, BoJack Horseman. It's one that I always come back to and just because it's like so universally relevant uh, to many circumstances in life. And it's the, the one from, I think the first episode or something of season two where he runs into the baboon who's jogging and it's the, it gets easier every day, it gets a little easier but you got to do it every day. That's the hard part. Um, that one, I mean, just like through, I probably heard it when I when I was watching it at, at a harder time in my life. And it's just like so true. And I like what it says about trauma. And I think that show in general just has so many great quotes um, that make it so much further than just an animated, uh, like silly adult cartoon. Um, but that mm-hmm. one's always stuck with me for sure. Yeah, I keep hearing good things. Yeah, it's amazing. Um so is this favorite quote in general? Because you guys both said TV shows. Yeah, it could be anything. Yeah, it, just, it could be a book, a movie, uh, something that you know every white girl has on their wall. Mm-hmm. I don't know. If you <laughs> want to say live, laugh, laugh, yeah. that's fine. <laughs> it could mean no. a lot. <laughs> well, I do live and I do laugh mm-hmm. and I do love. So yeah, there's my answer. <laughs> um, <laughs> my go-to um, is probably Gandalf mm-hmm. uh, in Fellowship of the Ring, which is... All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. Mm-hmm. That was my uh, senior quote in high school. Um, yeah, that that's probably probably my favorite. Though, so, um, if you would allow me to do a slightly more lighthearted, uh, funnier one mm-hmm. uh, as well to give two answers real quick, is I have a young two-year-old nephew, um, and he's coming out as being just a very intelligent young kid. So lots of people are around just talking, just saying he's he's so smart. So every time I hear someone say he's so smart, I just think of Forrest Gump saying, he's so smart, Jenny, so smart. <laughs> so uh, I've, I've been saying that one specifically mm-hmm. a lot lately. So that was actually the first thing that came to mind. Nice. Yeah, yeah I mean, I could, I could have pulled something from a movie. I mean, I could pull a million things from the nice guys mm-hmm. or something yeah, exactly. like meaningful. From what were you something? doing while I was working? Yeah, I had to question the mermaids. What were you doing while I was working? Yeah, uh, so I could have easily pulled something there, or something you know, emotional or meaningful from like Shawshank Redemption, or um, I, I could have used that. <laughs> I could have used that line from Wandavision that like, "What is grief?" Yeah, but, that's a good uh, one. Mm-hmm. I, I don't I even know the quote off the top of my head. <laughs> what is like, love like time mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Um, you know, or I could have pulled something, but I was just like, you know what? This is the one I'm thinking of. I mm-hmm. love this Firefly quote. Yeah. Uh, very nice. Well, uh, let's talk about some movies, shall we? It's been long enough. I guess. Um, let's start off with the black phone only because 
people that listen to the show know that already where I stand on the anticipation level for this movie. Um, this is the new um, Scott Derrickson written and directed movie, also co-written by C. Robert Cargill, uh, but starring Ethan Hawke, uh, based off of a book by Joe Hill, who is, uh, I, th- I think that's a pseudonym because it's Stephen King's son. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I don't. I guess I just didn't know, like, is that his birth name and Stephen King is the student or... Uh, oh, actually, I have no idea. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. So, I definitely either way, he, it's... he changed his name to, to like, avoid that, uh, like, the tie, so could be out of oh, way. Yeah. yeah, I know he wanted to establish himself, mm-hmm. but, um, but yeah, so... Maybe he um, didn't want his name to be Joe King. Yeah. Joe King. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> could be it. I did not know that he that he wrote this though. That's a that's interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it, and it was initially I think like an an an, uh, an analogy. No, not that whatever. What's the like an allegory? Uh, no, no. What's the like um, where where it's like a bunch of short stories in oh anthology uh, anthology. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, like I think it's an anthology book, and so it was gotcha. it was originally published under something else, okay. and then because of the movie, it's been re released. Um, as the black phone stories yeah imdb uh, does have it as a short story so yeah so i think it was part mm-hmm. of like a compilation book essentially uh starring ethan hawk we already mentioned mm-hmm. uh, uh jeremy davies uh james ransom and sinister uh um i don't really recognize other people yeah those were the big ones for me too wait uh, did you say sinister 2 as an also or is there a sequel like there's this is a an sequel question. uh there's a sequel that the the original writer is like wrote and then were busy making Doctor Strange and mm-hmm. so yeah, somebody Scott else Derrickson took it over it. Direct that one. Yeah, and was Ethan Hawke in it? No. no. Okay. Have you seen Sinister? No, I haven't. I'm going to watch it this week before I see Black Phone. Okay. That'll um, tip my hand to my answer. It's it, it follows um the, a different character from mm-hmm. the first movie. Uh, gotcha. Who is one of the ones in the Black Phone. So he, he just becomes the lead. Um so yeah, um anyway, so it's it's a movie that nobody likes. Um and yeah um and nobody talks about so uh, Mm -hmm. either way um that's the movie the synopsis here because i didn't give that yet after being abducted by a child killer and locked in a soundproof basement a 13 year old boy starts receiving calls on a disconnected phone from the killer's previous victims um jack i want to start with you Mm -hmm. um on this on this anticipation level i made a little bit of changes to it i essentially just merged opening weekend and um a matinee to just we're gonna ignore i mean this is a theater exclusive and uh we're just gonna ignore your budget we're gonna ignore whatever is mm-hmm. in your way except for your own free will to go see this movie yeah so how soon do you think you would see this uh would you go to the theaters would you wait till you can rent it at home would you mm-hmm. wait till it's, wait till it's on the streaming service you already pay for or are you not interested in seeing the black phone yeah uh, i want to see this movie as soon as possible to be honest with you i'm i'm very excited for this very mm-hmm. nice what about you robert uh yeah i'm not quite that high but i'm still opening weekend cool like i'm um, not like I can't wait to see it, but I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, this looks good. I'll go watch it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm stoked. I'm over the moon about this mm-hmm. one um, yeah. because I'm not really a big fan of horror. And so when there's a director that really? makes stuff that I really like um, that, like I, I just attach myself and mm-hmm. Sinister yeah. is one of my favorites. That's and... what I was going to say. I was wondering if, if Robert's answer might change when he sees, when you see Sinister, because it is one also one of my favorite horror movies. Yeah. That'd be interesting. Uh, uh, now I'm worried. We're maybe I'll just be like <laughs> even, yeah. even more opening weekend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but like the, so, I mean, so he did the exorcism of Emily Rose as well, which is on my watch list. I hear I good things it. about it. Mm-hmm. I hear it's, like, it's one of those that like people are coming around to because they're realizing like, Oh no, that movie is actually awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, uh, so then he did Dr. Strange, mm-hmm. but so like, it's, it's, it's cool. He, um, when he left 
Doctor Strange 2, I was just like, I'm in for whatever this guy does next. And he's like, I'm going back to do horror. I'm like, yeah, like, mm-hmm. cool. I'll watch it. Um, so, and then especially being reunited with Ethan Hawke. Uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm so into this movie. And all of the early buzz about it is mm-hmm. just that it's incredible. And I normally don't take that stuff into account. But like when it's, there was a, there was a poster or there was a trailer in front of Lightyear for the Black Phone. Mm-hmm. Weird that it was in front of Lightyear. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> like super. Weird. Actually, I had that no, too, no, 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 yeah. no. It was Jurassic Park um, <laughs> Dominion. That's what it was. Jurassic World Dominion. Sorry, not Lightyear. Anyway, because um, I saw them like mm-hmm. a couple days apart. It was in front of Jurassic World Dominion, and all it was was this black phone in this cell, and this kid answer it, and then nothing, and it just says the black phone certified like hundred percent in Rotten mm-hmm. Tomatoes mm-hmm. in theaters in two weeks, and it's like. That's how you do a trailer. Mm-hmm. Like um, revealed next to nothing, but the tra- the full length trailer was awesome for it. It's been forever since I've seen it. I've been so stoked for this movie. Mm-hmm. I cannot wait to see it. Uh, I'm I like work Thursday night, all Friday and all Saturday and like all <laughs> Sunday, and I'm thinking about just dropping my Thursday night shift so I can go, yeah. <laughs> so I can go as soon as possible to this movie. Ethan Hawke is just one of those actors that will will get me to see many many movies. Like he's I I just I think he's so talented. Yeah. Yeah, Ethan yeah. Hawke's one of my favorites. Um, yeah, he was basically the main reason that I wanted to see this. I was like, Ethan Hawke is a horror villain? Yeah. Okay. Very, and then, yeah, because like the villain turn on it. I mean, I, I saw that the two of them were working together and, and he did so good in Sinister, but putting him in as the villain is well, super interesting. Not not to ruin your experience, Robert, but the way I view Sinister, Ethan Hawke is absolutely the villain of that movie. Um, he's just also our protagonist. Okay. So, sure, like, I can see that. But he's like doing the... You know, he's doing the Freddy Krueger, the, yeah, the exactly. whoever in this. Uh-huh. Right, like, right, right. It's this movie's version of that. That's mm-hmm. that's kind of what I meant. Like, yeah, no, I know. It's just, but it's just in you know, movie. <laughs> right. No, it, this is definitely very different. But I'm just, and, mm-hmm. and part of me is that's you know, I really love him in uh, in mm-hmm. Sinister. Uh, and I, I promise I'll shut up about Sinister. <laughs> <laughs> and I know he's the villain in Moon Knight, but uh, <laughs> oh, oh, he's Jackie. in Glass Onion. I had no idea. Oh yeah, yeah. Huh. You though, I'm guessing it's a small part because he wasn't even in that. Like his name wasn't on that uh, little teaser that they. I don't know who was in and whose wasn't. Uh, it was like everyone was on there except for Ethan Hawke, but there were pictures of Ethan Hawke in Greece, <laughs> and it was huh. like, yeah, there's Ethan Hawke. Anyway, um, yeah, I didn't see I didn't see Moon Knight. I couldn't last past the first episode. Um, so Jack, you said uh, Ethan Hawke can get you to watch a lot of things, and apparently Moon Knight was my line <laughs> because he, Ethan Hawke can get me to watch most things too. I enjoyed him uh, all the way through Moon Knight. Honestly, I thought I thought he was he was, but yeah, I'm sure he was great. It was just Moon Knight in itself. But yeah, I didn't have too much to say about this to be honest. Um, I saw the trailer. I don't know. This is another one that feels like it's been running for forever. Um, mm-hmm. Didn't it get pushed back? Also, wasn't it going to come out in like March or April? I think it was. It was originally supposed to come out in February, February but then okay. everybody was responding so positively that they're like, "No, we're going to push uh-huh. this to a summer release." Um, so it still it was, says twenty twenty one. produced IMDb. because it premiered at festivals yeah. in the end of twenty twenty one and uh, maybe the summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they were responding so well. They're like, "This is going to make no money, and nobody's going to see it if we release it in February because February horror movie." Um, and so they pushed it back to now because they're like, "We believe in this," and that's also a good sign. Uh, mm-hmm. Blumhouse also just doesn't really make bad movies that often so yeah i saw that the trailer again since you said it was pushed back i've been seeing the trailer for a while mm-hmm. and i was intrigued when i first saw it i was like all right that looks good ethan hawk oh scott derrickson too all right i'm in mm-hmm. and then i've just kind of tuned out every time the trailer comes on uh since then because i don't want to you know i'm not zero frames but i also don't like 
dissecting every second of a trailer mm-hmm. and just like, all right, that looked good, and now I'm I've had enough. I'm in. Already been. So I haven't that's seen. That's basically where I am. I haven't seen the trailer in so long, and, and you go to the movies more frequently than I do because you have AMC A list. But yeah, it's uh, on like and every you movie. and you make a point to try to see as many movies as you can in the theater, and I'm just like, I'm not seeing Morbius. Um, <laughs> I didn't see Morbius either. Same. So, um, so like I don't I don't know if, but like I don't remember seeing a full length trailer in forever. I see a lot of like Twitter, but it's literally just like the black phone is coming out and it's awesome. Or, hmm. you know, it hits theater. I see a lot of like just a screen. Yeah. Uh, do you guys, any, any other thoughts on the black phone? No, I, I'm sold basically on like paper alone. I've not seen any frames or just saw who it was. and I'm going to be there. Cool movie mask. Yeah. Agreed. That too. Well, uh, let's talk about Elvis then. Uh, this is the Baz Luhrmann movie, uh, or sorry, the Elvis movie, directed and uh, partially written by uh, Baz Luhrmann, uh, starring Austin Butler, Tom Hanks. Uh, let's see, I, it, Cody Smith McPhee. Apparently, um, this is the trailer. I feel like I've seen many times. Uh, from his childhood in in Mississippi to the rise. Or to his rise to stardom, starting in Memphis and conquering of Las Vegas. Why do they have to put Nevada? Why do they put Nevada after Las Vegas? <laughs> so, like, there's one Las Vegas. Uh, Elvis Presley Vegas, becomes Kentucky. Elvis Presley becomes the first rock and roll star and changes the world with his music. Uh, yeah, uh, <clears throat> Robert, let's start with you this time. Um, you gonna go check this out in theaters? Are you gonna wait till you can rent it at home? Wait till it's on a streaming service you already pay for? Or are you just not interested in this one? Uh, teetering between streaming and not interested. Okay. What about you, Jack? Same. That's what I was. <laughs> Me too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just, I love the idea of the Baz Luhrmann mm-hmm. Elvis, but I don't, I don't really like Austin Butler. Like from what I've seen in the trailer, I've been uh, seeing sh- uh, like, it's weird. I don't know if you guys have TikTok, but there's this really weird phenom- phenomenon going on right now where they are trying so hard to make Austin Butler a thing. Like I'll see like TikTok <laughs> itself post a video of him trying to be like cool or suave and stuff. And it's just, yeah, like stop trying to make Austin Butler a thing. I have, I do not care about this guy at all. He just seems really pretentious to me. Um, that, that mm-hmm. was a huge turnoff for me. Yeah. I just like, I don't, I do, I, I haven't seen any of that. Um, I just, I, he doesn't sell it for me. Um, mm-hmm. Tom Hanks, looks fine tom hanks um, taught him his dance <laughs> another forrest gump reference i'm not i'm not thrilled um like visually like Baz Luhrmann is known for like his visuals and so far i'm just like this looks like anybody could have directed it and i'm just not really interested in an elvis story um mm-hmm. this has nothing working for it but it's i'm so not interested in this but this is one of the ones that it's like if if it comes out and people are like wow i really enjoyed that mm-hmm. then i'll consider checking it out whenever it hits showtime or hbo or whatever it's getting good critical reception so far and i'm just like this i'm just not interested so yeah i saw it had like a, one of those like crazy like long uh, standing ovation at the festival or something really yeah uh yeah i don't know i mean and you and you mentioned it like i think one of the things that this seven has... minutes and 32 seconds <laughs> one of the things that this has most going for it is the baz lerman being the director his like style and i i personally don't like baz lerman that much so that's just mm-hmm. another thing that is just not bringing me i've only actually seen gatsby i haven't seen moulin rouge or romeo and juliet or anything Same. um so it's not like a turn on or turn off for me it's mm-hmm. just like oh another one <laughs> you know yeah. i haven't seen mm-hmm. too many of his movies it's What's intriguing really... but it doesn't hold much mm-hmm. weight for me yeah sure it's two hours and 39 minutes, though. And, <laughs> oh like, I didn't know that. it's a movie wow. or it's a music biopic. And I'm just like, 
when was the last time there was an interesting one of like you know, like Rocket Man was fine, it was good, mm-hmm. but I'm not I could take it or leave it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. that type of movie just is done to death for me. And yeah, I, I just the last Elvis one I remember anyone, I don't really loving care. was straight out of Compton. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's uh, not even yeah, that's like different. Right. Like it, well, I mean Rocket Man is different. <laughs> yeah. Sure, but at, at the same time, it's like you bring in a new style of music with Straight Outta Compton. You bring in the race factor. Yeah, right. Um, that was that was the music was a backdrop, um, and yeah. that's why I really liked that movie. Um, but Whereas yeah, like Rocket Man and Bohemian, Bohemian Rhapsody, Rhapsody like, was. Oh, just they got popular. Yeah. They did drugs. Everything in their life is terrible, and it's like they're all the same. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of like Rocket Man only because like because mm-hmm. it's kind of like a an acid trip. It's not your mm-hmm. typical. Well, it yeah, fucks the formula. That's yep. that's the reasons to and Taron Egerton. Right, I, I like it too, but it's like like I said, I could overall I could take it or leave it. Um. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying. Really struggling to think of like what came out because like. United States versus Billy Holiday was a bad movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I wouldn't count one. Might yeah. I mean, anyway, I was struggling until you said Straight Outta Compton. That's probably the only one of these that I've. I mean, it forever, uh, forever, forever. Uh, I, I really like Walk the Line. Um, there are good ones. I'm not saying they're all bad or anything. It's just right. a very mm-hmm. rote formula. Right, right. There is there is definitely a formula, and uh, again, I, I I don't I don't know that I want or need an Elvis one. So mm-hmm. yep. Especially because, I mean, apparently he's just one of those, like, the more you learn about him, the more problematic he is in, like, the modern day kind of sense. So going to be yeah. maybe like a Great Gatsby, like, make or not Great Gatsby, uh, Greatest Showman, kind of make him look better than he is just to preserve that icon status. So If they do Who it knows? honestly, maybe I'll be interested. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I agree with that. I agree not, with that. If they give us now I'm real, more intrigued. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think I, the, I'm not sure Baz Luhrmann is the one that's going to do that. But yeah. I think yeah. he's he's a style over substance kind of person. But anyway. Again, having not seen Moulin Rouge, that's entirely made for Great Gatsby. Yep. Yeah, I have nothing uh, for or against the director, so I have no comment on that. The concept. Yeah, cool. Um, well, it sounds like we're all done with this. So let's get a chance to promote your mm-hmm. stuff. You've gotten to hear some takes from Robert and Jack. Jack, where do you, where do you want to send people to, to give you a follow? Uh, the uh, Basically, uh, Twitter and um, Letterboxd would be like the most like the movie stuff. So uh, it's just Jack Grimmy on Letterboxd, Jack underscore Grimmy on um, Twitter. And then I also stream on Twitch occasionally. I was I, the review that we were talking about where I did the the quarry. I intended on streaming that, didn't end up doing. It. I want to hop back in there. So if you're a Twitch person looking for video game stuff, um, I made up this name when I was six. So if you bully me, that's that's against you. Uh, Bunny with guns <laughs> is, is my streaming is my streaming title. I thought it was cool then, and I've just kind of stuck with it for branding purposes. Um, nice. But th- yeah, that's pretty much all. Nice. I like I like it. I'm, nobody make fun of Bunny with guns. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I, I need the protection. You, yeah, people go for it. I got you. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, and Robert. Uh, like I always say, um, if I do something that I want people to know about, I'll tweet it out. So that's underscore Rob's thoughts on Twitter. There we go. Well, uh, chance to shout out Patreon real quick. Um, you can go to patreon.com slash ifpopwr and check out reviews. Uh, lots of stuff been been putting there recently. My Lightyear review with uh, Jack joined me for that um, is live up there. So you can check out my thoughts on Lightyear um, and Jack's thoughts on it as well. And um, you can uh, listen to some other great content that's up there and get access to the episodes early. A bunch of different perks. Check it out. Sifpop.com slash wr. Nope, patreon.com slash sipopwr. <laughs> and uh, thanks for checking that out uh, if you do so. Uh, so uh, let's move on to the SIF topic we got to talk about on the waterfront today. Um, so we get to talk about on the waterfront we today. To. We have to. An <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, ex-prize fighter turned New Jersey longshoresman struggles to stand up to his corrupt union boss, boss, bosses 
including his older brother, as he starts to connect with the grieving sister of one of the syndicates of victims. Uh, This is uh, a Best Picture winner um, starring Marlon Brando. Um, This is like one of the biggest Brando roles. Um, I I saw somewhere say that this was Brando's like most iconic performance. And I'm like, no, it's not. Um, Well, historically, um, he kind of changed the way people were acting. (laughs) Sure. Like with his realism. We'll talk yeah. about it, but yeah. No, but I mean, like, most iconic is clearly the Don from mm-hmm. Godfather. Uh, but there's an argument for best if because if you want to make that argument. Uh, let's see. Reasons why we might consider this one a goat. Uh, a little bit of legacy of this film. It's as an 8.1 on IMDb, making it the 178th highest film, highest rated film of all time on there as a 91 Metacritic score, 99% on Rotten Tomatoes, a 4.1 letterboxed aggregate. This one... Um, at the Oscars, Best Picture, Best, Direct, Best Director for Ilya Kazan, uh, Best Actor for Marlon Brando, Best Supporting Actress for Eva Marie Saint, Best Story and Screenplay for Bud Schulberg, Art Direction, Black and White, Richard Day, Cinematography, Black and White, Boris Kaufman, and Film Editing, Gene Milford. This was also nominated for Best Score for a Drama or a Comedy, Leonard Bernstein. Uh, this was also nominated for Best Supporting Actor for Lee J. Cobb, Carl Madden, and Rod Steiger. Three Best Supporting Actors, but no wins. <laughs> Um, uh, the BAFTA, uh, BAFA at the time, BAFA, uh, nominated for Best Film from Any Source. It was nominated Promising Newcomer, Eva Marie Saint, and it won Best Foreign Actor, Marlon Brando. The Directors Guild of America gave this outstanding directional, directional achievement. Um, the year it came out, and the Writers Guild of America, uh, gave it Best Written American Drama. Uh, in 1989, it was inducted in the National Film Registry. There was a Criterion release in 2013. And in um, AFI's list, 100 Years, 100 Movies, number 8, 100 Years, 100 uh, Heroes and Villains, number 23, Terry Malloy, the heroes and nominated villain, Johnny Friendly, 100 Movie Quotes, number 3, uh, You Don't Understand, I Could Have Had Class, I Could Have Been a Contender, I Could Have Been Somebody Instead of a Bum, which is what I am, um... Best film scores, number 22, uh, 100 years, 100 movies under cheers, uh, number 36, 100 movies, 10th anniversary, number 19, and 10 top 10. Uh, this was nominated for gangster film. So lots of reasons why we should consider this one in this category. Mm-hmm. Um, let's start off with our history. Um, and if we have no history, then simply why we were excited to watch it uh, before we rate it. So just history and excitement level. Uh, Robert, why don't you start us off? I had never seen it, and I was excited to watch it because Marlon Brando. I don't know. Uh, On the Waterfront is a big name old movie that I heard a million times, and I had never mm-hmm. seen it, and I thought I should. So, What about you, Jack? Yeah, I'd never seen it either, and I think I was really excited uh, to finally check this one out because I, I took a few like film classes in, in college, and none of them were this would have been relevant, but it was often mentioned, and specifically it was mentioned just for how big of a change it was in terms of moving us from like the escapism cinema to the surreal or to the, the realistic uh, cinema. So I was mm-hmm. really interested to see like what that exactly, what people meant when they said that. And it uh, makes a lot of sense now that I've seen it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And by the way, 1954, I didn't, mean uh, streaming on HBO max, if you haven't mm-hmm. seen it um, and you pay for that, that would be a good avenue to watch it. Uh, I had never seen this movie. I've owned the criterion. I think it's November. I think black Friday sale I picked it up. Um, because I knew eventually we would talk about it on this podcast and I knew that I wanted to watch this one um, because it kind of one of those best picture winners and one of the more like undisputed best picture winners. Um, mm-hmm. Like definitely lots of people 
um, putting it as one of the best best picture winners of all time. Um, one of the best performances from one of the best actors ever, uh, Marlon Brando. So um, yeah, lots of reasons to want to watch this. Uh, and here we are. So um, now that we've seen it, uh, Jack, why don't you start us off as the guest? Did you like it, love it, hate it, dislike it, or think it's just okay? Uh, I am. I would say high side. I liked it probably. Okay, high side. I liked it. And Robert, where do you land? Um, probably about the same, to be honest. I am in the very high side of liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I want to emphasize like really high side of liked it. Not quite enough that I want to say I loved it, but mm-hmm. um, really, really, really. So, uh, where do we want to start? Uh, I would say um, probably the, the biggest standout for me, and and you mentioned it. It's a lot of the recognition that it has, specifically with Brando, is. The thing that really kept my eyes on this movie was the acting. Like it does still very much hold up for me. I mean, the the performance from Brando is like so charismatic and I just love what they did with um the with Edie, her character, like the acting is so good where she's this this like you're you're nervous about like the optimism for her, but what she means for his story and what he discovers and the way they play off each other, it works so well for me. Um, and, and both of them just really, really bring it and everybody around there does. So. Yeah. Um, it, it, there's a reason this is nominated for a ton of people. Um, I don't, I don't recognize Lee J Cobb or Carl Madden by name. Um, so I gotta see. Um, but I know that Rod Steiger played, uh, the, the brother, mm-hmm. um, Charles, I think. Yeah. Charles, Charlie, Charlie, uh, Carl Madden was the priest and Lee J Cobb was Johnny friendly. Okay. Yeah. Those were, those were probably the standouts. Um, of course, besides Brando, mm. who I was pretty like underwhelmed by until like the cab scene. And then he was just mm-hmm. a powerhouse for the rest of the movie. Like, I, cause I, I just remember thinking like, this is like the Brando that everybody like just, I'm just mm-hmm. fawned over for so long. Like this is like, this is fine. Like he's doing a good mm-hmm. job, but he's not really given a lot to work with. And then the last act of that movie, he's, he's just a powerhouse. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'm I'm a little unimpressed by Eva Marie Saint because she really doesn't have much to do in this movie. Um, really, I I, I um, that's re- probably a hot take. I really liked what they meant for each other. One of my favorite scenes in the movie was their the first little date scene that they went on, and just how like how both of them have such polar opposite views of the world, but how both of them make a lot of sense. But th- th- just them like struggling to or kind of almost imposing their beliefs onto the other people. Like how how do you not see it from this perspective when they haven't lived each other's and just- well and she's she's definitely an influence on like him wanting to be a better person mm-hmm. but like ultimately I, I don't think that this character is really even that necessary in the movie and um i i, th- I thought she was fine yeah, but like okay. not not necessarily like oscar winning and i don't I, I don't know what the contention was there robert you pick Why a side you, you think- said with me or jack <laughs> <laughs> well i need to uh be clear about one thing and that's i started this movie too late at night, two nights ago, <laughs> and I paused it and went to sleep on the couch and didn't go to bed till 3 a.m. because that's when, that's when I woke up mm-hmm. and uh, was busy all day yesterday, was busy all day today, then watched the last hour. So it's not the best way to watch the movie. So yeah. uh, my viewing experience is a little disjointed. I, like I said, I still really liked it, but I need to watch it again to get the, the whole. Sure. Um, but yeah, I'm curious why you think her part wasn't necessary. Mm-hmm. I guess just... She, the priest is providing a lot of momentum. I mean, she, she is kind of the way that like it connects to Marlon, Marlon Brando mm-hmm. and Father Barry. Um, she's in some ways a catalyst for good, but I still think that the way that this character is set up and especially with, with the, uh, 
with the scene with uh with Terry and his brother Charlie kind of realizing mm-hmm. that like where he essentially says like Charlie you're the reason why I'm in this position mm-hmm. um yeah. you know because you've put me into this life is uh um it would have been enough of a catalyst it, it just felt like like filler time to me she didn't really move the plot forward much other than to convince uh-huh. father Barry well she, uh, doesn't she humanize him doesn't she like give him a connection she- to the real world because mm-hmm. the priest is you know the church is a uh, is the church. It's uh, uh, an institution. It's not like mm-hmm. he's just the moral compass. He's the the face of the church for uh, Terry is Marlon Brando's character, right? Um, yeah. And then you know his brothers in the mob, so that's not a pure motivation. Uh, Johnny Friendly is obviously Johnny Friendly. He's the big uh, antagonist. You know everyone. I guess your, the the kids. Uh, you know, the pigeons are what kind of ground him a little bit, give him something to do. But like yeah. having the character of Edie just like, even though they have this push and pull that Jack was talking about, um, it's it's something outside of, um, I don't know what word to use, something outside of just like all of these larger than life things, all of these larger existential things like mm-hmm. uh, the mob or the institution of the church or, any, or anything like that. I... I guess I think it comes down to expectations is why I was okay. unimpressed because I was probably more excited to see Eva Marie Saint than I was Brando because I've mm-hmm. seen Brando before. I've seen The Godfather. I've seen Apocalypse Now. Um, I've seen the older Superman movies. So like that was really exciting and interesting. Um, it was exciting and interesting to see him, especially significantly younger than yep. his roles uh, that I'd seen him in. But, um, but Eva Marie Saint, like I'd seen North by Northwest, but five years ago and mm-hmm. kind of didn't really use fine. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure I'll like it a lot more uh, the second time, I, you know, the next time I watch it. But mm-hmm. like, it's, if anything, I remember Cary Grant from that movie. Um, I'd seen Superman Returns. No, uh, <laughs> I'm just looking at her like cast. Like, I don't, mm-hmm. I honestly don't know like what I've seen her in. Um, so I was, I guess in a way I was more excited and she's like, won the best supporting actress Oscar mm-hmm. and all that. And, I, and I'm just like, I guess I'm expecting like, Sure, this is 1954, yeah. and the women mm-hmm. were very underutilized in film for mm-hmm. until like 2018. Yep. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. No, I definitely but, think it's it's one of the things that I, I liked her a lot. I think that partially you do have to evaluate it in its own terms for better or for worse. Like, and it's it's fine. I just like you, you. And you're right, Robert. It does humanize him. So there, mm-hmm. there is that that aspect. It it really you know, brings out a side of him and you, and, he, and he gets to kind of exposit a little bit, um, uh, on like he, there's that, that, that scene where he rescues her from the church. And then they, uh, he, he says, uh, he, he talks about their childhood and he, and how like she had braces and glasses mm-hmm. and, and a braid. And he's just like, all I'm saying is like, you had it easy going up, growing up. Um, and just kind of like, again, kind of provides that, like you were talking about Jack, that polar mm-hmm. opposite nature. I just, and she also gives a connection to Joey, right? Joey's yep. her brother. Yeah. You know, it like, it makes mm. the, you know, it makes it not just another mob hit. Mm. And it's like, hey, people are people. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. Terry, it's not, he was, a, a, kill, a killing doesn't exist in a vacuum. It affects people. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Terry, he, he was struggling with the death of Joey, but I feel like he was able to like stick his head, put his head down with a lot of the, the badness that he'd seen. Right, this is what it kind of implies to me, that he's been able to just like let that go in the rear view. But then once, as mm. soon as the sister gets in his life and he has this like emotional connection, and then every time he sees her, he's kind of got to, that is what comes up and that's what he's keeping from her. Um, I, okay. I think that's mm-hmm. important. All right, so I'll walk back on my, like she's, 
not necessary. It's like, and again, I kind of said that in a ramble, and it was always over exaggerated. Mm-hmm. But like, like this movie so badly wants to be just a movie about religiosity and mm-hmm. and the goodness that can come from that. In mm-hmm. in in many ways, this movie is that movie. I'm, I'm maybe slightly more interested in the movie where the priest knows exactly what what happened, and he j- and he needs to be the one that compels Terry to step up, like, mm-hmm. and then in in a way of like guilt and duty because father barry is like this was one of my first notes for the movie it's so refreshing to see a religious character like be a good guy mm-hmm. like because it's been forever since we got that True. because it's it's always like he has sinister motives or he's protecting a, a bad guy because he's being paid or you know spotlight doubt um uh you know, any anything going on with like that subject matter like, it, it, of christ <laughs> It just feels like refreshing to me to see a religious person portrayed mm-hmm. as a good person. Like that was one of my first notes. So I, I, mean, I almost wonder like what if the movie would have taken that turn and it probably wouldn't have been as good of a movie. Um, there's a reason why I'm not a producer, but um, <laughs> yeah, there's a reason why I'm not in Hollywood, but uh, uh, I, I don't know. I guess I just like, there's enough, there was enough there for that. I, and I, again, just expectations. I was more excited for the Eva Marie Saint. I just, uh, yeah. just, so I was, Kind of like 20 minutes from the end of this movie, I was like, wait, did this win Best Picture? And then I checked and I was like, oh, eight Oscar wins. Mm-hmm. So like I went in the opposite <laughs> expectations. I was like, oh, hey, you know, apparently this was mm-hmm. very highly lauded uh, awards yeah. awards wise. Well, and I'm thinking about, too, the scene where she finds out that um, that Terry knew something, at least about her death, or about her, her brother's death. Mm-hmm. And she has to, like, react mm-hmm. to that way. And I'm like. She's fine, but like mm-hmm. this isn't what I would say is Oscar winning. But pro- again, I don't know what the what the competition yeah, was in 1954, exactly. and mm-hmm. I'm sure she was significantly above the crowd mm-hmm. for 1954. So I thought yeah. that was one of the more interesting scenes. Actually, um, I thought they were both good in that, and uh, the way you see the priest, you know, watching the whole <clears throat> watching the whole thing mm-hmm. go down, and then he just has has that look on his face afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that whole thing was really good. I also like how when they said there's a scene later on where they say hell and there's a and there's a car horn that goes off to mm-hmm. censor it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Great, like, great moment. I was just thinking of that because of the, the boat horn that was going on during that whole conversation. Yeah, that was an interesting choice. Yeah. Uh, I, I like that. It worked really well. Mm-hmm. I thought that was mm-hmm. really good. Yeah, because uh, Anne is just he's really directing the hell out of this movie. And it's one of those like mm-hmm. I noticed. I noticed kind of specifically in that scene moving forward, but I did watch because um, I was like, I wonder if there's just something that I missed. And so I did watch a YouTube video on somebody kind of breaking down this movie. And then um, I watched this on the Criterion and uh, I wanted to get this right. So um, there's like a 17 minute special feature of a conversation with uh, Scorsese and Kent Jones about this movie. Huh. And that was awesome. So um, if you have the, uh, if you have the film, uh, the Criterion, that's mm-hmm. absolutely worth seeing. Or if you like really liked this movie and you're interested, that's worth it. There's um, there's a 2001 documentary on the film's most famous scene. Um, there's a, there's some really good um, visual essay on Letter Birdstein's score. Lots of really good stuff uh, mm-hmm. on that. But I just thought like as as they were explaining to me some of the things, like it just really took the direction to another level. Like because I was just always like he's mm-hmm. just he's so good at framing and yeah, yeah the framing is really good. Mm-hmm. There's there are lots of shots of uh, Terry behind wires or behind. Yeah, like, that's fence. exactly what I was going to bring up as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, to show like he's locked in, you know. Right. 
it's pretty straightforward, but it's very effective. Exactly. So um, that was that was one that I started to pick up on on my own, and then just mm-hmm. uh, again, kind of framing in depth. Uh, I mean, we mentioned the, the the scene with the with the priest kind of watching everything, and and then pulling up a cigarette afterwards, mm-hmm. and he's like mildly shaking. Uh, lots of stuff like that. But then, like as somebody pointed out, like pretty much every time that Terry has to interact with the underworld, he's always like moving down, mm-hmm. like descending, and then every time he has to do something heroic, like especially in the end scene, he's ascending. Mm-hmm something um his home like the the pigeon coop is on is on the roof um like lots lots of lots of ascension and descension in the movie that are that, that it's like it's obvious and you notice it and you're like oh yeah all right you see the new york right. skyline in the background mm-hmm. a whole lot too oh yeah um i didn't notice that or i didn't think of that until honestly until after we started recording this podcast before we got to this topic mm-hmm. so i haven't formulated in my mind what exactly it's saying but it has to be something about like New York being the symbol of the American dream and people coming over yeah, to Ellis Island and then look how well, close they are yet so far across the across the water. Well, there's something about that. And then there's something that um, in the interview with Scorsese, with Scorsese and, um, and uh, Kent Jones, um, the, they comment on the, the film's use of black and white because this is like well, they could have shot it in color. Um, cause so the Oscars mm-hmm. were differentiated because like it was still kind of like color wasn't the norm yet. Um, and, and the, like they, they, they ask Scorsese comment on that. He's like, well, I've always seen New York in black and white. I was just like, huh? All right. Makes that's sense. why, that's why you're this film genius. Like <laughs> just something is so simple as to say that. And they, and they just move on. They're like, all right, cool. Like, <laughs> uh, but of course, cause the Scorsese, he talks about a, a lot about the religiosity of the film and mm-hmm. it's, it's a very mm-hmm. specifically Catholic film. Yeah, uh, very much so. So, and I was, again, just being watching this with 2022 20, eyes, I was just waiting to like, when is the priest going to become the bad guy? And it just doesn't happen. I'm just mm-hmm. like, nice. Uh, so anyway, um, but yeah, I just, I really, the, the direction of the film was great. I was, I liked the score a lot. Did you guys? Yeah, the score was also notable. Mm-hmm. I was, yeah, I didn't, I don't notice the score in like a lot of these, uh, mm-hmm. either straight up noir or noir adjacent movies because it's mm-hmm. it always kind of seems samey to me um but yeah it definitely stood it out stands out for one. sure i was surprised that that one was only nominated for an oscar instead of one um because that i mean it, it just plays so well with the movie mm-hmm. um yeah um, uh there there's i my goodness there is background information to this movie that i didn't know until after watching it i was reading some letterbox reviews um apparently the director was part of pointing or uh, part of whistleblowing for communists uh, before this movie, uh, okay. before he made this movie. So now I want to read up on that and then take that information and rewatch the movie and see how it in- informs yeah. <laughs> the <laughs> the viewing experience and the thematic ideas. Because there, I think the second most popular review on Letterboxd is like. Yeah, I get what the movie's saying, but I can't jive with it because it goes like exactly against what the director himself did in real life. <laughs> um, it seems very hypocritical. Then some people are uh, separating the two. So I'm very, very, this is obviously very limited information coming from me mm-hmm. um, because I'd like to read up on, on it more. So, but I wanted to throw that out there. It's oh, very yeah. interesting with. I what had no the, idea. Yeah, the, the pro union message um, in the end and all mm-hmm. that. Um, yeah, I feel like so, his political views here would be very important to his overall message. I, I mean, it, yeah. it, this isn't to me. This isn't like a very, very black and white movie. I think this is saying something very, very clear. And it would be interesting mm-hmm. if his like out 
side of the film uh, beliefs kind of muddied that. Yeah, the first IMDb trivia says that in 1952, he was uh, among the first to cooperate with the House Un-American Activities Committee, which is the yeah. blacklisting that ruined many careers in Hollywood. So, and, and Kazan publicly stated that he had no regrets for that action. <laughs> wow. uh, but, but he was given an honorary Oscar, which lots of people in the filmmaking were like upset about. But like Interesting. more, more people were standing and applauding him. And it's like, like obviously they didn't get it right but like <laughs> all the time but like huh interesting it would have been in, i think in because this is in 1990 the second thing is in 1999 gregory Peck peck supported the decision to give him an honorary oscar mm-hmm. uh, okay like you just you just listed that mm-hmm. warren Beatty, meryl streep helen hunt carl madden kurt russell and robert uh and all stood and applauded when he got his Oscar. And then De Niro and Scorsese presented it to him. Like, wow. I don't, what do I care what Gregory Peck has yeah. to say when all those <laughs> other people? Like, I mean, Gregory anyway. Peck is. I know he's great, but it's like, you know, he's no Meryl Streep. <laughs> anyway. Maybe apples to oranges here. Or more than one thing can be good. <laughs> yeah, I know. It, it just feels weird that it was like not just. I guess it's not lumped in because there was the stood at the event. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, it, one of the things that was really interesting to me watching this movie too, we talk a lot about movies that influence other movies mm-hmm. on, on this segment, especially the older that we go. We talk about like, we don't really like Citizen Kane, but we can see its influence. I didn't really like the good, uh, the good, the bad and the ugly, but I could see and appreciate the influence that it had. And sometimes that makes me not appreciate the like original itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sometimes, like, Seven Samurai, I was like, yeah, but I still really liked this one. Um, and this was one of those ones where, like, it it was so interesting because, like, the story kind of felt like I'd seen this before in in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but the characters are just rich mm-hmm. enough, like, specifically Terry, that, like, Terry, you guys mentioned the acting is the thing that keeps you... Uh, like mostly invested in this movie and specifically with Brando and Terry. And again, to me, they're like the, the father Barry character. Um, Cause like, I'm, I, I got a lot of Chinatown vibes to this movie. I mean, I know they're very different plots. Um, Forget it, Jake. Of, it's the waterfront. It, right. Exactly. Like Chinatown is a little bit more of like a investigative noir and this, but this is kind of the reverse side, but mm-hmm. yeah, I was thinking, yeah, this, this is like the ending of Chinatown, this whole movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or, or just t- take your pick on a lot of these like detective LA confidential in a lot of ways, like it, the Godfather, mm-hmm. like I could see a lot of the fingerprints um, in these other movies and it, but, but the characters are so, mm-hmm. so good um, uh, and well-constructed that for the most part, I know we, we <laughs> kind of grumbled about a character earlier that <laughs> I then, uh, then I then walked back on, mm-hmm. but like specifically uh, again, the scene with Terry and his brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. The, that was the one where father Barry's in that, that was one the one of the quotes I hear all the time, but I'd never even like seen that scene. And then seeing it in context of the makes you really understand why it is like considered one of his quotes of all time. Like it hits pretty hard in the. Yeah, I was reading it um, during the like 100 movie quotes number three, and it's like this is this is fine. Mm-hmm. But then you you look at the context, exactly. like oh yeah, this is great. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, number three of all time seems a little bit high I for agree. me still, but mm-hmm. like you know, it deserves to be on the list mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, yeah. What else? I don't have. I didn't write down my notes because I watched this this morning. Um, like I have. I think I have that, that's most of the stuff that I had had written down about it. Yeah. I just, I just really appreciate again, kind of the the religiosity of this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's so much a metaphor. I mean, it's especially at the very end. He's quite literally a Jesus character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. But like, it is, it, it 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 is in in some ways in your face, and in, and in a lot of ways. Um, relatively subtle and mm-hmm. how it goes about things. Uh, ultimately, the message is like 
it just takes one person to be good and one person to stand up and fight oppression mm-hmm. and um and ultimately that like you should be a good person and by not doing anything you're not being like it's it's just it's just a, a movie about so many people that have stopped trying to be good for so long mm-hmm. that they've become bad and it just takes one person to realize we've lost our goodness mm-hmm. uh, to kind of, and, and he rallies the whole community to, um, to change things. It's just, I really appreciated that. Uh, I didn't expect this movie to be like hopeful, um, especially because yeah. like the only, all the marketing of this movie revolves around like the, the hook with the, that they use mm-hmm. on, on the, yeah. on that thing. And I'm like, he's going to just go kill somebody with one of those hooks <laughs> at the end of this movie. And like, that's the, like, complete opposite mm-hmm. of what happens so yeah I, and then he throws it at the door and it's laying on the ground i'm like so he's gonna shove him down on it and it's like nope <laughs> he's just gonna get the crap beaten out of him yeah that was a standout too the this is a very positive movie and like we the the religiosity is like is there but i like how the it's like you have the the father character who very much is is like representing the institution and the religious aspect of it but even even Marie Singh's character, another reason why I like her is a lot of her lines aren't necessarily religious, but still overtly mm. positive. Like I talked about their first date scene where they're just like going back and forth with each other. I just like how she's her, her whole thing is just like, be a good person. And he's like, how though, like in, in the world that we exist in, how like, it's just a lot easier to fend for yourself. And the fact that, that she's just like operating outside of the religious aspect where she's just like, it's important to be good because it's just being good. Uh, just a really positive thing that I was not expecting going into this, especially the mob movie aspects that it starts off with. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Liked the way it turned. Yeah. And I kind of jump it off that really liked the moment um, with even Marie Claire, the, like at the beginning um, where the father is there giving like last rights to, to Joey. Um, and he, uh, um, he says something like, if you need something, I'll be over the church. She's just like, what are you going to do? Like over there? Mm-hmm. Like your, your job is out here. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, awesome yep cool uh and then and then the the scene where um the old man i don't uh like kind of tells the priest all all that's happened you know they get they get information to the authorities and all that and um you know uh and then they kill the old man for it mm-hmm. and then the, the father shows up and like his whole that was that was a powerful scene yeah. for me i really like that yeah i think those are all my notes so i think that's that's all i've i took down you have anything else robert uh no well so we all like i don't i don't know that any of us have really said anything negative about them yet um what what is keeping you guys from being in the love day camp i watched it in two different settings and <laughs> it's very disjointed viewing experience I, w- I was wondering about asking like how did that cab scene hit for you because that was like what an hour and 20 into the movie so like were you able to adjust by then or like uh h- how did that kind of play off uh yeah i needed to reorient myself to the movie uh, when I hit play earlier, um, I was like, okay, what was the last scene I saw? I don't remember. <laughs> it's like, who's this? Probably oh. like the first scene you would have seen would have been the old man, mm-hmm. like getting killed on the dock. <laughs> like, uh, I, I, I saw 58 minutes of it. I remember because I was close to an hour. Um, so I had to watch the last however many was left after that. Um, yeah, I think everything came together well enough. Like, like I said, I got the point. I got what it was saying. Um, it just didn't hit me as emotionally um as it would have because yeah i didn't have that consistent feeling experience which i i wish i would have had i try not to do that when watching movies mm-hmm. especially for podcasts where i need to talk about them yeah. intelligently <laughs> um but it just didn't work out this time yeah yeah uh what about- for yeah for me it's something that like we've kind of touched on a little bit specifically with what robert just said about like the viewing experience 
I think it is how I felt like parts of this I've seen before and it does it better. It's not like what we talked about Lightyear where I was like, oh, I've seen this and I've seen it done really, really well <laughs> recently. With this, it was like, I, I know a lot of this and and I know that this meant a lot in the moment when it came out and it was revolutionary to cinema. But the fact that we are living in like a post on the waterfront world where I'm not experiencing it in the moment, if I would have seen it, then it might have been like a fully life-changing experience. For me now, this has given me what I watch a lot of now. So I'm just kind of like used to it. So for me, it was just, it was good. And, and I'm, you, I had to try to appreciate it more for like what it, it's done for us. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what the thing is that's kind of keeping me fully from just like going ahead and saying I loved it. Um, I maybe it's, um, gosh, I don't know. Like, like I was thinking, like it's not a long movie. It's nope. an hour and forty eight minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, I was expecting it, it to be it, way longer. The opening scene is is Joey's death, so like it immediately gets into like here's the situation, the problem. I don't think there's t- necessarily too many characters. Um, it's shot really well it's written pretty well uh maybe sometimes a movie can intellectually hit you but if it doesn't get you emotionally it's mm-hmm. not yeah i guess i guess i would identify stuff. with that like it didn't hit me emotionally i guess as much as i thought mm-hmm. or expected i don't i don't know why i guess um it's, i don't i don't know that this movie is really going for that emotional powerhouse except for in in one or two scenes you know the scene where he has to tell uh but I'd but, e- but even but even that like that's that's to me more of an intellectual scene because uh, of like really understanding what's going on and the horn is going over everything but you don't need to know what they say because you know what he's saying and so it's to me that's just really intellectually well done and i can appreciate the the acting and the directing her heart <laughs> you are like, tearing me apart Tommy. no i we don't not Tommy. in all seriousness <laughs> I was actually thinking of like James Dean doing the naturalistic performance and then like, no, this one works a little bit better uh, having yeah. stood the test of time. Well, I've but, seen another Kazan movie because he did East of Eden. Oh, I've seen that too. I didn't like it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think there are a lot of emotional scenes in on the waterfront, including the one that you just mo- mentioned, um, the one in the cab with his brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then big one. again, if, if I had been fully invested for an hour and 48 minutes straight watching the movie, I think him getting up at the end um, to walk through the door would have mm. hit me a lot more than it did. So yeah, I think there's a lot of good emotional moments in here. Yeah, I, well, and even even that scene, I'm thinking of like the technical brilliance of kind of going back to seeing Brando kind of stumble in first person, and then from mm. an outsider's perspective, and then you know, um, again, kind of from third person, you see he's getting closer and closer and closer, and they're like stumbling the camera and all that. Like again, that's that's just a little like flashy to keep me. A little flashy of like technicality. Like I'm more focused on the technicality than I am the emotionality. So maybe that's the thing is I'm, I wasn't, I was definitely fully invested with my head, but not so much with my heart again for a movie that is so hopeful. And mm-hmm. so, so, so changing of your heart oriented. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, that, that goes back to what I was saying where like it hit you in- intellectually, not emotionally. And that's fine. That's subjective. I was yeah. just trying to push back a bit against uh, you said, it's not trying to be emotional. I think it is definitely trying. Okay. Yeah, that's and yeah. So anyway, maybe it's just kind of missing that from. Either way, I still really, really, really like this movie. Uh, I'm happy I own the Criterion, and um, I really look forward to watching some of the others. Um, I definitely want to check out the say that. I pay to say. There's like a two minute clip of it on YouTube. I don't know if you can find the full thing of it, but it's like a 
because I saw it on YouTube and I added it, but then I like pulled it up on the Blu-ray because I already had it in, mm-hmm. and it was like 17 minutes. I'm like, oh, obviously this is just a snippet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, I want to watch the 17 because that was that was awesome. Um, you know, especially because Scorsese has a New Yorker and mm-hmm. devout cat, yeah, filmmaker and all that. Like, anyway, pick the right guy. Um, uh, so what do we think, guys? Is this movie a goat? Uh, if you're assembling the Criterion Collection, are you, or or the National Film Register, or something like that, are you including this film in there? Uh, I'll kick it off with a yes. Yeah, I agree. Just for what it means for cinema. Yeah. Yes, and it landed at number seven on my list. Oh, wow. Significantly higher than I would have thought. Between Cinema Paradiso and Sunset Boulevard. Well, yeah, you're a little bit more like, uh, wow, yeah, I had this at 20 um i might pull it up even more than that um because that's just right behind dr strange love for me then which is a movie that i've just appreciated since seeing it so beneath m but above the sting and above the conversation above the internet. so uh, yeah i don't know that's that's a relatively fluid but i think i tend to rate things higher than anyway um very nice well on the next goats uh robert and i will be talking about the apartment uh, that one out in the Twitter poll. So if you were listening last month and you heard all our matchups and you were like, I want to know which of these wins, you can go to um, uh, Twitter and it's still the pinned tweet on sifpop.com and uh, you can check out the the matchups and what won. And so obviously the apartment won over double indemnity. So Robert and I will be watching that and talking about that next. Do we have a guest or is it just us? Nope, just us. First time in a while. Oh no, it was. Uh, I think the last, last one was, was also <laughs> last couple. No, it's um, it, it'll be the first. Uh, it'll be the first one in a while because then, then after that, like we have somebody on for the Great Escape. We have somebody on for the Night of the Living Dead, and I think we have somebody on for the, the September one. So, cool. which is Harakiri. Yes, that's. Um. So yeah, we'll have like next month is just the two of us, and then three straight months somebody. Um. So there you go. Next month, come back and hear us talk about the apartment. Uh. For our B plot this week, uh, we have. Uh, a question that I came up with, which is what are some of the best, uh, some of the best movies that you could listen to with no picture? Um, so again, the intent is uh, somebody could enjoy uh, just as much with it as on mute as they could on full volume with, uh, with kind of the, like not as a background watch. Uh, that kind of, it's just kind of a thought experiment. Wait, um, is it with no picture or no sound? This one was no picture. No picture. This is no picture. Okay. Yeah, this is no picture. I think next month we're going to do no sound because that's because you I'm mentioned watching before. it on mute. Yeah, and that, I said, wait. Sorry, yep, that's the opposite. <laughs> listen to it. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah. So listen, you can listen to it with no picture. Um, yeah, next month I think um, watch without sound. Cool. Um, so something you can listen to with no picture. So um, how many do you guys have like listed? I just I, put down six. Yeah, you I, said five, I, and I did six. Yeah, I did. I did seven in case because I think some of them we might have some over. Yeah, I picked seven as well. So um, we'll we'll we'll, we'll kind of go one each, mm-hmm. and we'll kind of talk about it, and then if it's mentioned, you should have some backups lined up. Yep. So, um, Robert, you want to start us off? Uh, yeah. Um, and kind of what was your mindset going into this? Well, can I ask real quick? Do these need to be ranked? I didn't rank them. I didn't no. rank mine. No, no, no. Okay. Yeah, my mindset. So I mentioned that I had a specific mindset going in, and that was. I didn't choose any musicals because mm-hmm. I feel like that's almost cheating to me. Um, mm-hmm. Just because I listen to musical, like the soundtrack to musicals in the car sometimes, yep. you know. Uh, so I didn't choose any musicals. And then like, there's some where, you know, like I'd love to listen to Lord of the Rings, but at the same time, a big part of what I like mm-hmm. is just seeing everything. Yep. So mm-hmm. I, I just scrolled through my highest rated movies on Letterboxd and looked for like uh, the stuff with the simplest setups and, uh, 
few characters that are dialogue heavy. Um, so my first answer is kind of a cheat, but I wrote the before trilogy mm-hmm. <laughs> because I know that's three movies, but it's they're all just two people talking and like and that that's not to say any of these have or like bad cinematography or anything like yes. that. Uh, these all have good cinematography. Um, but what's most interesting to me about the before trilogy is just the ideas that they talk about. And I get, I can get the ideas that they're in their twenties, thirties and forties um, just from dialogue. And then just to hear, like, like you said, Jack, it's like listening to a podcast, just mm-hmm. hearing them go back and forth uh, talking about the worldview and talking about their experiences. Um, yeah. That's, that's what I look for in those movies. Um mm. Yeah, I also just like tried to pick the, the easiest way to do this one was to pick dialogue driven movies, um, movies that could work as a podcast or an audiobook or something. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I have one that I think is an out there, like hear me out, um, mm-hmm. but that it's probably going to be one that I save um, for like in case some other ones got knocked off. Cool. Yeah, that's still on my list of shame. So, uh, Jack, why don't you go next? Um, I think that what like Robert made the distinction that we were not saying that these have bad cin- cinematography, and I think that's important. I also think that something that when you have these dialogue heavy movies where, where that's what's important, we also, I'm not saying that the facial uh, actions mm. or the actual acting itself does not add stuff. I'm just saying that the yeah. dialogue in itself works. And I know um, this this first one that I had is a movie that you both love, and I think it's 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 always poignant and super impactful, and the acting is incredible, but the dialogue gets what's going on across um, mass. I think the, the just the the fact that it's just in a room. I think it's the it was the first thing that came to my mind. Um, mm-hmm. You have these four people, and I think if you didn't have the the visuals there, you would you would miss out on some of these reactions or some of the like intricacies of the ways that their their faces react when the other people talk. Um, but still, like the the i mean it's just it's just perfect line delivery after line delivery it just all works um and and the message at the end of the day the things that they're saying is what you are there so that was my the first one that jumped into my mind i I definitely had mass written Mm -hmm. yeah i i thought about not putting on there because it's it's such an acting powerhouse as well and and a lot of the emotionality comes there but it it could work enough well Mm -hmm. as as just the audio. Yep. Um, well, I'm going to go with the one that I feel the least safe uh, that, that you guys don't have written down. Um, uh, I figured court case would be really good for this. And uh, the best example I wanted to think of was a few good men. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Cause there's enough passion and power in it. And almost all of that movie takes place uh, at least like in the courtroom. There's some stuff that takes place like as they're outside. And, but even then, like a- every scene in this movie has to do with the case mm-hmm. uh, to, in some regard. And, you know, I thought about picking a couple different court cases, but I, I wanted to try to pick um, like a movie that would represent something different, um, not just pick, you know, A Few Good Men and Trial of Chicago 7 and To Kill a Mockingbird. And, you know, like, so uh, A Few Good Men was the one I think would work the best, which is kind of ironic because that movie has really bad sound production because the way they filmed it yeah. in an actual court, mm-hmm. court case. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I had listed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. All right, Robert, back to you. Uh, my second one I had was in Bruges um, mm. towards mm. the very end, just because I, I won't spoil it, but there are actions that take place towards the end. Um, I'm realizing now you might not be able to get it just through sound design, but the rest of it uh, is very dialogue heavy. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are all just like two people. Are you, are you alluding talking. to the big moment with Brendan Gleeson or the big moment with Colin Farrell? Uh, Does the scene well, take place at a church or a par- park? 
I wasn't thinking of the park, but that's another one too. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, and the one in the park, they explicitly say what, <laughs> what was happening there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, there's enough interesting stuff in there that, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And the, the dialogue and yeah, what the characters sure. talk about is what makes me, uh, so high on them. Yeah. The dialogue yeah. is definitely the first thing that comes to mind. That's because Martin McDonough, he's a playwright before a mm-hmm. screenwriter or director. So he, he knows how to go down to the most basic. And that's what I'm realizing. This question is almost down to its most essential. Like mm-hmm. what's your favorite screenplay? Yeah. Fair. Um, and line deliveries yeah. are also really in, in some ways. Some ways. Yeah. yeah, in some ways. In other ways, I'm like, mm, I would have five different answers, mm-hmm. but uh, because like, like, um, men could could really be up there. But, yeah. Like Eternal Sunshine has very specific mm-hmm. uh, screenplay because of how it has has to write its sound and mm-hmm. transitions and all that. But like, if you're looking for a specific type of screenplay, this could... yeah. I looked at Eternal Sunshine. And I was like, oh, maybe, and then immediately I mean, like, nope. yeah, some of those <laughs> visuals <I'm laughs> because, just, like, nope. never before done. Yeah. But Eternal Sunshine would be one of my favorites. Right, yeah. Uh, all right, Jack. Um, the, the next one, like, uh, part of me when I was thinking through this, and I told you guys before that I, I struggled with this a little bit where I was coming at it from. Um, I, for a moment, I wanted to think of things that might even be enhanced, uh, not necessarily that the movie's taking away, but just, like, the hmm. vibe and stuff. And one thing, yeah. uh, two scenes came to my mind from the same movie, Zodiac, I think it's one of my all-time favorites. Oh yeah! And the the idea of some of these scenes playing through just with you hearing it. The first one, obviously, is the basement scene. The idea of hearing that revelation just like it it, it sent chills down my spine. Thinking of listening to that instead of watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, you have the the whole scene um, with the the woman in the car. Also, you know that that it's the line there that always. Um, uh, where I'm not going to spoil it, but where he explains what he's going to do. That is just like genuinely bone chilling to me where I think that this movie could really, really shine just by listening to the dialogue and events as they play through like that. So, yeah, I scrolled past that one, I guess. didn't. Well, yeah, it's sure. funny because as soon as you said Zodiac, I was like, yeah, but I really want to see the basement scene. So yeah, yeah, yeah. for yeah. sure. Um, but I just like think it's, it's, this it's, is subjective, obviously, but mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, on. I agree. Um, all right, well, let's go with marriage story. Um, oh, that's nice. yeah. I mean, it kind of a lot of it, it. I mean, there is good visuals and obviously acting powerhouse, uh, Scarlett Johansson and Adam driver, um, who I both believe should have won the Oscar that year perspectives. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's such a dialogue intention dri- driven movie in the way that it's presented. I mean, with the letters at the beginning, I, f- I feel like you could work out what's going on. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and there's distinct enough voices and all that. I, marriage story is a courtroom movie outside of a courtroom Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh in a lot of ways so um yeah i i think that one could work really well and i'm especially trying to think of the big conflict ones you know do not compare me to my father Mm -hmm. like that scene like that would work really well so um yeah you could actually go with most noah bombback for this topic now that i think about it i think that's the only one i've seen most of them anyway um but yeah he, he he does a lot of just stripped down character stuff yeah my next one was mass so i'll skip over that um the end of the tour have you have either of you guys seen that i've not seen that no i've heard um, of it though and i think somebody recommended it to me might have been me <laughs> maybe uh, it's uh a24 movie starring jason siegel and uh jesse eisenberg jason siegel plays david foster wallace um the the, the mm-hmm. premise is that jesse eisenberg is a, a journalist who spends like a weekend just interviewing david foster wallace and mm-hmm. so yeah it's one of those where it's just like the two of them sitting in different rooms or sitting in the car, just talking about different ideas like uh, fame and success 
um, and happiness and what what real success is in relation to personal happiness. Um, hmm. Yeah, this was one I saw recently for the first time and it's vaulted up. As soon as I watch it a couple more times, it's going to be a staple on my uh, favorite of all times. Nice. Cool. Yeah, it I... was either you or Shane that told me to watch it. And if it was somebody else, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, me and Shane and Foster talked about it on my podcast. I don't know mm-hmm. if you listened to that one. Um, the A24 one? Yeah. Uh, it's like next on my list. Okay. So that I only bring, brought that up because when you said me or Shane, I was like, well, me and Shane talked about it together. <laughs> Yeah, I yeah. I personally I'm trying to get through some more A A24 movies before I go and check that out. But um, the next one that I had is an A24 movie, and I think another like the another one that just jumped on my mind is is Lock, where essentially oh, you yeah. only have the one. <laughs> I think of that. It's, it's, yeah, I think it's the the, the perfect example uh, for me is just it's Tom Hardy, and again he is acting so hard here and i love Mm -hmm. the way he kind of i mean he has to essentially because it's just what you're looking at the whole time but um the the performances over the phone and and the dialogue is is just airtight it's quick um you know it it, it's very open-ended as to like where you stand on it and what it what it means to you and yeah i mean it's just a dialogue essentially uh um and yeah it it came to my mind instantly I, i love it one of my favorite a24s I literally saw a TikTok earlier today of some guy that was like, here are some movies that I really love that are, are only take place in one mm-hmm. scene or in one room. Yep. Yeah. Finally, I'll think of that for this. Okay. Um, all right. Let's go with another one. I'm relatively confident. Again, again, like so much of this movie works as a movie um, because we get to see the way that these characters respond and react. But I said spotlight. Um, yeah. And there's a, maybe a little bit too many characters um, mm-hmm. to follow. Uh, but ultimately, like, this is a dialogue-driven movie, mm-hmm. uh, but it's not, like, tons of dialogue. This isn't, like, a, like a Sorkin screenplay or anything mm-hmm. like that. This is um, this is about investigating and, you know, em- emotional reactions to all that. And honestly, this could work really well as, like, a true crime podcast. Mm-hmm. And that was the thing that I was thinking of. Yeah, for sure. Like, that would, that would make this qualify for this. So, yeah, my next one uh, has a qualifier, and that is... If I spoke Japanese, this would be perfect. <laughs> and that's um, Drive My Car. Okay. Um, hmm. That's one that hit me a lot from last year. I really love that one. And it relies a lot on on like its very symbolic images. But again, there's just a lot of dialogue. And the dialogue is what hit me the most watching it. Um, and there's a criterion I to get comes out very soon. Yeah, that's one that I have yeah. not gotten around to. I've heard only good about it. I think the one thing that's that's scaring me away is the runtime. Yeah, um, it's three hours long. Definitely got to find time for it. Yeah, um, another one. This is this is one that comes to my mind a lot of the time when people just ask me my favorite movies. One of the movies I've watched the most is The Big Short, another dialogue oh, wow. heavy one. And, and even like it's complicated and, and what it's talking about is complicated. Yeah. But what it's really remembered for in many ways is the way it's able to explain these complicated topics and those, they have cool visuals along with that, where you got like Anthony Bourdain, like cooking there for you and, and using that, but he's also explaining. And so I, I mean, Order it's Robbie in a bathtub. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's, it's funny. It's like kind of terrifying most of the time. And the performances, like it's, it's the voices that, that really stick with me a lot of the times and the way that they're together. Uh, yeah. I've seen that movie so many times. So many. Um, all right. I'm, I'm realizing that my other one, like I have two of them that are kind of out there that maybe could work really well, but maybe not. So I'm going to go ahead and list the other one. Um, my other like normal answer one. Um, and that's the two popes. Uh, it, it, it would break my heart to, to not see mm-hmm. this movie. 
with uh, with with the two popes uh, watching the football game because mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that is a joyous scene. But again, so much of this movie is dialogue and uh, it's visually stunning. Like uh, just I, I love the way this movie looks. Um, but the real heart of this is is that these two people with completely opposing viewpoints um, kind of coming together and and realizing what's what's good for their people group. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, just a, a beautifully written movie that could work really well. Again, kind of as a as an audio book mm-hmm. or as a like that. Yeah. My last one is also with a qualifier, and that's if I spoke Swedish, and that is the Seventh Seal. Um, mm-hmm. I've not seen this. Yeah, this is one I've talked about a decent amount in the past, and uh, yeah, it's just a series of people having conversations, um, except for maybe one scene that I'm. But other than that, it's yeah, you can get what's going on through context and who's talking. It's just. Uh, the main character talking to one person and the next person and then so on and so forth. Um, one of those persons being death. So yeah, great movie. Sweet. Great. Cool. Interesting idea. Uh, the last one I had on my list here was a, essentially another one that, that plays within one room. The entire movie um, is dialogue, almost a stage play, The Hateful Eight. Uh, one that oh, a, uh, a a Tarantino movie that just has has grown on me over the years. I really really like this movie. Me too. And uh, yeah, just the the way that the reveals play out and the way uh, just the characters. Another one where just the characters are really really complex and the way it plays together. Um, yeah, I, I just think it's it's fantastic. And I mean, it's a little long, but for the most part, you're just in that room with them for a long time. So you just essentially would just be another person at the lodge, just trying to survive, listening to all these things go down. Very nice. Um. Okay, so <laughs> is this the let's, big let, No, let's start with my least bonkers one of these two. Um, I'll I'll say the other one later. Um, I think a quiet place could be really interesting this way. <laughs> <laughs> now it would be a lot of nothing, mm-hmm. and you'd have to edit it down a little bit. But like the whole point of that movie is to be so dialogue is, is to be so sound centric mm. with a lack of dialogue that like. If you're just hearing, right? But if you're like, if you're just hearing the creatures in your head, like if if you're just listening to this movie, like I would get chills up my spines Mm -hmm. regardless. And there are obviously some moments that wouldn't work quite as well, like with stepping on a nail. You'd be like, "What just happened?" But Mm -hmm. at least you'd be, but like you could let your creativity and your your imagination run wild to be like, "Oh, something bad is happening. She made noise. The the aliens are going to (laughs) come, or the creatures are going to come, or whatever." And just like. you know, that, that movie works on both levels, but mm-hmm. I, I just really am curious, like, what if you only listened to that movie? Mm-hmm. And again, like, trimmed it down. And when it goes to, to the daughter's perspective and the sound mm-hmm. cuts out, you're checking your speakers to make mm-hmm. sure they're not broken. And you're like, what, <laughs> right. what's going on? Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's an interesting... But just that movie is so intentional on sound. Yeah, like, sound is, is so important for the movie. I, I definitely see where you're from. I think you're hitting the nail on the head that it's intentional with sound, but I think its purpose is to enhance the visuals. Yeah, no, it definitely is, but it's just a curious thought experiment sure. more than anything for me. Um, yeah, but since since we all went through our five, um, do you want to hear my other one kind of along the same lines? Go for it. Yeah. Again, I, again, part of why this movie is so great is because of the visuals. I don't want to take away that, but part of me also just wonders, like, what if you only listen to this movie and you can let your imagination run? It might even enhance the fear, and it might even enhance the wonder, and that's the original Jurassic Park. Oh, um because 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 there's that movie where they first see the dinosaurs and you're just filled with Mm -hmm. so much wonder but like you could let your imagination Mm -hmm. run with that but then the moments that are scary like might be scarier because all you know is that there's a freaking t-rex so close to you watching the movie from the perspective of the guy trapped in the porta potty essentially (laughs) there you go (laughs) yeah just like again 
in, but like they explain how they made the dinosaurs and it's it's again the visuals really help you understand mm-hmm. that but like it's also done through that di- like i just i wouldn't prefer to watch it mm-hmm. without the picture but i think it could be a really interesting experience so fair enough i think that one um, works better than quiet place i'll tell you that <laughs> okay cool <laughs> Good to know. Um, because, yeah, have- that, that is cool hearing, like, welcome to Jurassic Park mm-hmm. and hearing the music and you're like, oh, this must mm-hmm. be great. Yeah. Or, like, right. we're seeing the brontosaurus well, and, for the first time. Mm-hmm. And here, like, I, I initially wrote it down and I was like, mm, but then I was like, it was a book first. Like, if it, if it succeeds as a book, how could it not <laughs> succeed? Like, you, you know. <laughs> well, <were> there- <laughs> Dune and Lord of the Rings are books and I would ne- not want to just listen to those. That's fair. But I mean, like you don't the, part of part of what made Jurassic Park the original, which we'll, I'll talk about more next week. Um, so special is is simply just like seeing the dinosaurs and seeing mm-hmm, yeah. the visuals and, and and all the wonder that comes with that. But like you can't see the book, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. So you had to like you have to like be able to come up with your own imagination. And obviously, you're able to describe details there, but you're able to hear dinosaurs mm-hmm. and hear arguably the greatest film score of all time. Yeah. Like, and I mean, a lot um, of the suspense yeah. from the character's perspective is they, they don't see the dinosaurs. Like we're yeah. watching over their shoulder as like a dinosaur kind of sneaks up on them or they hide from it. So yeah, I can definitely see there'd be some scenes where that would work. Yeah. Anyway, to be clear, I'm not disparaging this pick though. I am disparaging the quiet. Place <laughs> pick. Okay. I think, I think Jurassic Park is actually an interesting one. Mm-hmm. I like that one. Yeah. I, I had to have one out, out, off the wall mm-hmm. answer. And <laughs> like it was one, I think I scrolled by and I was like, maybe no, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, do you guys have any other ones that you've written down that you just want to give a quick shout out to? Uh, the only other one that oh. I had was Collateral. I think it could be interesting. Oh, interesting. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I buy that. Did you have another one, Robert? I was just going to say A Quiet Place Part 2 because <laughs> I don't want to see that one again. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, uh, let us know what you think uh, of, of our picks and let us know um, if you have other picks that you're just like, oh, that would be really interesting. That would be really cool, especially if you have off the wall ones. Mm-hmm. I would love to hear them. Um, give us a reply on uh, or give us a tweet on Twitter or something, a DM, DM the Sif Pop mm-hmm. page, something. I'd love to hear your thoughts if you're listening on what might also work for that way. But we just have to wrap up with the spinoff. So, um, Jack, let's start with you. What is the one thing in any area of pop culture that you really are trying to tell everybody to check out or to stay away from? Um, the We mentioned it a little bit earlier, and it's just been taking up so much of my time because I had to get that review out. Uh, is I, I'd want to take a minute to mention The Quarry, and I don't know... The, I think it is the perfect, I mentioned it in the review. I think it is, if you're looking, if you're a horror fan who's looking to get into video games, I think the quarry and Until Dawn, it's like predecessor, are perfect, perfect places to go because it's just playing through a movie. There's even, there are three modes, I think, for this game. One of them is single player. One of them is couch co-op. One of them is movie mode, where I don't know if you just watch the plot unfold before you, but um, I think it works a lot. Essentially, you, uh, you start, you play eight, different characters and you make decisions within the situation where they're um camp counselors who are um it's the the fi- the day the final day after camp they're uh, they for whatever reason they can't leave the camp um although david arquette their camp counselor is urging them to get out of there and um it turns it, it goes it goes south and i think it is some really interesting horror um a lot of jump scares it's they're very campy they're very parody heavy on different um genres they they take a lot of what you know and build it into something new and unique um, where I, if you're looking for a horror game to play, especially if you have like a group of friends who are just willing to like sit on the couch and like be like, 
if you want to have to yell at somebody because they got your character killed because <laughs> they decided to run instead of like hiding, it's it's just an absolute blast. I had a great. Um, and if you're looking for more information about it, you can check out my. Uh huh. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> uh, that review drops Tuesday, the day before this oh, episode okay. goes live, cool. <laughs> at 5 p.m. CST. Sweet. <laughs> uh no 7p in the future slash Mm, yes so if you're listening on patreon it may not be live just yet but if you're listening on the public channel Mm -hmm. it is live um robert what you got we all know the best harry potter movie is prisoner of azkaban no um (laughs) (laughs) uh so the other night i was on twitter and i saw that they're making a Jon Snow sequel show mm. for whatever asinine, <laughs> baffling reason they're doing that. Money. Um, money, yes. That's the only answer. Mm-hmm. Um, and in reading the replies to the tweet, someone tweeted out a clip from Seven Days in Hell, which yeah. is a, like a parody sports documentary that Kit Harrington mm-hmm. and uh, Andy, Andy Sandberg starred in a few years ago. Uh, it's probably around 2014. Um, I had seen it back then, but... Um, Wanting to get Kit Harrington content that night and seeing the clip that someone tweeted out uh, caused me to rewatch it. And it is a great mm-hmm. um, send up of sports documentaries. And it is Andy Samberg is the main character. So you should know it's just like absolutely bonkers and off the wall and just like anything can happen at any point. Um, there's a lot of really funny, uh, really funny stuff in there. Um, yeah, it's on HBO. It's an HBO original, only, only like 40 minutes long. If you haven't seen it, I strongly recommend, <laughs> I strongly recommend checking it out. Uh, Kit Harrington plays like a... Seven Days in Hell? Yeah. That's what it's called? Yes. All right. It's, it's, I, I might watch it tonight. <laughs> you should. It's, uh, it's about the fake longest tennis match of all time that lasted seven days between <laughs> Andy Samberg. Mentioning the plot makes me laugh. It's so <laughs> between Andy Samberg and Kit Did Harrington. you tell me about this recently? Because I feel like this came up. Like, I, I or, reviewed or did you tweet it about on, it or something? Yeah, I reviewed it on Letterboxd. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe you saw that, but that was the only... I don't know. If you tweeted it out, probably. I didn't or... tweet it, I don't think. Um, but there's <laughs> Kit Arrington plays like this very uh, not smart character. <laughs> his mother, his mother made him focus only on tennis his entire life. Um, so now that he's in, now he's the number two tennis player in the world, and he's doing this this match. Uh, Andy Samberg. He's there's this interview where the interviewer says something like, "So uh, you're this tennis player. You you have all these accolades, yada yada. Tell us how you do it." And he goes, "Well." When, when I'm playing tennis, I, I throw the ball up and I hit it to the other player <laughs> and then he hits it back and then I try to hit it where he can't get it and he just like explains tennis to her. <laughs> that's that's only one of like a million of that, of jokes of that spirit. So uh, did you see if, the, if uh, that, yeah. the Netflix one they did, the Bash Brothers? No. They, um, it, that... It's the, it's Mark McGuire. Yeah. He, one of them is playing Mark McGuire and he's playing something else. Yeah, it's Andy the, Sosa? No, it's um, oh, mm-hmm. Yep. Yes. And it's Andy Samberg, and then one of the other Lonely Island guys. It's another like okay. forty-five minutes. This one, it's instead of like it's more in the pop star uh, spectrum, where it's got like mm-hmm. music. They did a bunch of like music for it, where they're essentially doing like a mixtape. It's 
also incredibly. Like, Maybe I'll watch that tonight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. Uh, yeah, I, I really like that one. Um, okay, so I came to the spin-off fully prepared not to talk about anything because I've watched some things in the last week, but they've all been for Patreon, mm-hmm. and I try to make it a point to not give away Patreon stuff in the main show because they're paying for that content. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you want to hear my thoughts on The Great Gatsby, uh, the Baz Luhrmann one, or Adaptation, or Lightyear, head over to Patreon. You can check out the check check those out. Can I just um, ask, had you seen Adaptation before? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so this was the second viewing. It had been maybe like six years. Um, but uh, but yeah, so you can check out my, my reviews for that stuff over there. Um, but So I was fully just prepared to say go to Patreon, but um, I have something to talk about because of you guys talking about these two. Um, I'm also going to recommend a 40-minute TV okay. movie on HBO Max called Tour de Pharmacy. Yes, yes, of course. That came out in 2017. Never heard so of this is, what is it. So this is another like Andy Samberg, mm-hmm. like Lowly Island one. It's a mockumentary that chronicles like a uh, a bike race, um, but specifically like a focus on doping. And like everybody's just taking like wild amounts of drugs. And the cast is Andy Samberg, Orlando Bloom, Joe Buck, <laughs> uh, <laughs> David Diggs is in it, uh, Nathan Fielder. Um, John Cena's in that one too. John Cena, James Marston, Danny Glover, Maya Rudolph, Mike Tyson, um, Jeff Goldblum, Lance Armstrong, Dolph Lundgren, Kevin Bacon, um, Eric. Absolutely uh, insane cast. It's 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 so good. Uh, There's even like a really 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 funny joke. Like some of them are playing older counterparts Mm -hmm. to themselves. So like Danny Glover is playing old David Diggs mm-hmm. and like some of the ways that they play off them is is mm-hmm. just hilarious and and they're just talking about like people taking just copious amounts of drugs. <laughs> it's so funny. Uh, oh, Je- Jeff Goldblum is the old Andy Samberg, which is just perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it takes place in uh, like it's like in the seventies, and so they like kind of film it to be mm-hmm. that way as well. Um, it's really funny. Again, forty one minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, just really worth your time. So I guess we're just recommending yeah, sponsored by things. the Lonely Island. <laughs> <laughs> so I was Jack, really hoping mm-hmm. I was really you were gonna that you weren't gonna say tour to pharmacy because like no, I want to talk mm-hmm. about that. <laughs> yep. Jack, you've seen this baseball one and the bike. Uh, I've seen cycling all of them. One. Yeah. Which one would you recommend for tonight? The baseball or cycling one? Um, I think I would probably lean towards the cycling one. Uh, okay. The the. Bash Brothers one is just is different than the other ones. Like it is mainly music and the songs are really, really funny. Like sure. uh, the, it's it, that one's a full Lonely Island one for sure. I forgot about Tour de Pharmacy, but this just the spectacle of the cast they brought together for that and just the, the bits that they do. It's really, really. I'll definitely well, watch and, them both, but I'm mm-hmm. going to watch Tour de Pharmacy. Tonight. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they, well, and again, the Bash Brothers so one. Thick. Yeah, is is the is Andy Samberg, Akiva Schaefer, mm-hmm. Jorma Tricone, Jenny Slate, mm-hmm. Jim O'Hare, uh, Jim O'Hare. Uh, Sterling K. Uh, K. Brown, uh, Alana Haim is in there. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, <laughs> I didn't. I don't remember that. Maya Rudolph. Yeah, I think she, uh, I've seen the Bash Brothers one too. I think it's that one's really good. On one but I like Tour de Pharmacy yeah. more. Yeah, and then while you're at yeah. it, watch Popstar as well. Yeah, <laughs> just do a whole whole run through. Yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> there you go. Lots of stuff for you to check out. Uh, but. Yeah, um, well, that's a wrap. So I uh, wanted to remind you guys that you guys can follow uh, Robert and Jack at the uh, the places that they said at the top of the show. I will drop their Twitter handles in the episode description if you want to um, have easy access to that. And uh, you can follow me on Letterboxd or Twitter at Schweitcastle. And a uh, quick reminder that Sip Pop Writers Room is part of the Studio DNA Network. You can check out other great shows at studiodna.media. 
or by searching Studio DNA in your podcast player. And if you're interested in writing for SifPop.com or you want to get in contact with the show, um, send it to say, hey, here's something I really like about your show. Here's something I don't. Maybe you can send us a question to explore during the B-plot. That'd be awesome. Um, uh, then you can email writersroom at SifPop.com. And please don't forget to relieve, leave us a review on iTunes if you're listening there. Um, five-star reviews only. Uh, <laughs> uh, next week, um, Heath and Frank will be joining me to talk about all six Jurassic Park slash world films. Um, so that'll be a lot of fun. And then next Aaron's month, not going to watch any of them, though. He's just going to listen to them. <laughs> I've already watched all six of them. Okay. Because um, I was like, I have six movies to watch, and I'm mm-hmm. busy. And so let's mm. let's start this early. So... <laughs> I've already seen, and and I wanted to watch all of them leading up to Dominion. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, so there, so Jurassic World film, Jurassic Park slash World films next week, and the apartment uh, next month with Robert. So, That's me. um, yeah. So, thanks guys for coming on. Thanks for uh, lending your time uh, and talking. I really appreciate mm-hmm. it. I had a lot of fun. Yeah, anytime. Thanks, boys. Got to get back to the writers' room now, though. <laughs>